everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 42, Setting Up a Home Server, recorded March 4th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. As you can tell by my incredibly clever and witty show title, this week we're going to be talking about setting up a home server. And uh, with me to do that this week are our good friends, yours and mine, uh, Mr. Aaron Butler. Hey, Aaron. Hello, Mark Cockrell. And Mr. Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's things tonight? Life is grand, my friend. So is uh, anything interesting going on in your lives this week? Work well, sucks. Work, work sucks. sucks. <laughs> oh, that's nice. There's a support group for that. It's called Everybody. They meet at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's a there's, a, there's, a, there's an instant solution for that too just quit <laughs> walk out the door yeah, yeah but uh, it's easy to get hooked on the you know the things that work gives you like food and mm-hmm. mortgage and you know yeah clothes well, speaking of mortgage uh, that's that's probably the most monumental changing thing in my life right now as we were just discussing pre-show is that my wife and i signed the final paperwork on a house that we're looking to purchase assuming all the multiple appraisal inspection slash things go through so Hopefully, you know, 45 days from now or so, I'll be recording from the Pod Pod Annex 2.0. That's cool. It's interesting. Just this, uh, just today, actually, as I was writing uh, on my podcasting book, and I wrote the chapter about setting up a home studio, and I was thinking of you the whole time because I knew. That I was thinking of me as I read it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Did, yep. You, did uh, you find the advice there useful, hopefully? Well, I mean, yeah, it's the same things I've we deal with at my house right, right now, which is, you know, you didn't put anything about how to specifically Nathaniel proof a room. Right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to mention the, the multiple padlocks <laughs> and, and deadbolts. Yeah. Um, the, the nice thing is, is this cat, this house has carpet all upstairs. Yeah. Um, and it has an upstairs. So for most of the time when I record my primary podcast, one minute workout, he'll be downstairs and I'd be upstairs and there's carpet. And because right now, you know, we've got hardwood floors. So when he comes in the room, it's slap, 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 back out the door, you know. What you need for Nathaniel is a locking gate at the bottom of the stairs so that he just can't come up. If you put a locking gate on something to him, that's just an excuse to repel. That's all it is. I mean, the second or third house we went to, it had a staircase that went up and turned and then a little landing. And we were down in the foyer still. I look up and he's on the outside of the staircase over my head, about 10 feet above me on the outside of the rail. Look, dad, this is awesome. (laughs) This is the best house ever. (laughs) So you have a monkey for a kid, huh? Man, he is, he is so, um, gymnastic, athletic, naturally just, wow. He can, he, he is, he's, he's super confident and, and he's not scared of heights, which is good and bad. And, uh, you know, good, great balance. He, You'd think as crazy and ru- and as wild as he runs around, he would you know have fallen and broken an arm and busted his head. And he's he's pretty darn good at keeping his balance and jumping from couch to couch. And you just, you just have to kind of keep that stuff on the down low as much as possible. But he's built like a bag of boulders too. That's a solid yeah. five year old or four year old. He has a six pack. I'm yeah. not joking. The kid has he has a absolute six pack. All right, so that's uh. That's Aaron's update. Uh, that's cool, Aaron. Uh, buying a new house is always a neat thing. And this will be your first ever actual house with a foundation and everything, right? That you've owned? That I, actually, that I lived in. That you I've lived owned in. three that I didn't live in. <laughs> yeah, I, I owned four houses at one time in Texas, and mine was the cheapest. <laughs> yeah. 
That's the old cobbler's kids have no shoes situation. Right. Uh, something uh, in the way of sort of quasi Linux news this week. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with David Pogue, the uh, technology com- columnist for the for the uh, New York Times, but uh, I, I read his stuff and occasionally like his stuff. He's certainly a good uh, uh, live performer. I've seen him perform live a couple of times, and he's very witty and engaging. But uh, he wrote a letter in the Scientific American magazine, uh, or a column rather, called Time to Kill Off CAPTCHAs, where he goes off about how CAPTCHAs are too difficult for people and that machines don't have any trouble with them anyway, and they're not doing any good, and we should just abolish them. And it's a probably a thousand-word article about how CAPTCHAs are terrible. Um, and ironically, the reason I bring this up is just this week, I had the same, uh, or I had a, a situation that this relates to with the Element OP website. There was a, an update to the plug, the caption, uh, plugin, the CAPTCHA plugin that I use on the website. So I had to disable it, download the update, do the settings and re- uh, re-enable it. During that time, which was uh, seven minutes maybe, I had 36 registrations and 17 uh, forum posts by spam bots. So for him to say that CAPTCHAs are pointless, uh, no, not quite. And to say that we, we they don't serve any purpose, no, not quite. Uh, they are, uh, they're the best defense right now. Uh, and I've tried the math CAPTCHAs where you say, you know, uh, four plus seven equals whatever. Bots can do math really well. Um, it's the it's the reCAPTCHA, the one, the same one that Google uses, is the best one that I've found to do the trick. So um, and that's I just my agree. little experience with CAPTCHAs. Yeah, my website doesn't, one meal on workout.com doesn't get the traffic probably the Element OP does, but it gets enough traffic that I get dozens of spam a day. Just I don't have I don't even have forums. I just have comments on my posts that I get right. spam on, and uh, yeah, the the math capture doesn't help. Um, the spam blocking stuff helps some, right? But recapture is the only thing that's really killed uh, anything coming in. Uh, you know, really preventing anything from getting directly on through. And I've also yeah. had a couple of uh, comments from listeners saying they don't like recapture because it's too difficult, and I agree, it is difficult. Um, and uh, but it's also the one that has the best uh, support for hearing uh, vision impaired. When we had uh, uh, Danny on uh, to the Borshu Linux episode, um, after he mentioned the fact that he can't get into our forums because of the capture I was using, I went out and looking and I, and I changed to to recapture, and it has a a pretty good audio option. Uh, but you know, I agree that spam bots are getting better at OCR and so that OCR has to get more complicated uh, but right now it's still the best line of defense now of those entries and forum posts that came through none of them actually went live because of the other uh, spam tools that I have on the back end blocked them but as the administrator I got notices and emails about all those and so if you administrate a site you know that it's uh, uh, that can be uh, maddening in itself even if they never make it live you get notified about them and you see them and that sort of thing. I'm I'm just guessing Mr. Pogue probably doesn't administer the website that he blogs on. Yeah, I think so. I think that he probably has not had the experience of running. And Element OP isn't exactly a huge site, but it's been up there for a while now. And that's all it really takes is time. Time to get in databases and to get spread around the Internet. And then open the doors because here comes all the spammers. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the only spam that really frustrates me now, and I've only had a little bit of it, is uh, is cell phone spam. You know, text messaging or, or phone calls to my cell number. I mean, I've got 
practically unlimited minutes. I have unlimited text, but that's a number that I have not published and that nobody should have. Right. Unless I've given it to them. Well, what I think is funny is uh, my Google Voice has got that Google block for for spammers, and I still get two or three calls through, and they then there's no message or no, no nothing on the other end of it, but I still get a couple every once in a while that say you know that so and so called. When I look at the number, the numbers don't exist, so it's like, huh. I got butt dialed twice this week. You know, that's the <laughs> yeah. benefits of being double A R O N. Once from a guy I know that's deployed in Afghanistan, <laughs> which was pretty funny. That was expensive. Yeah. And I got a, I got a two minute <laughs> voicemail, you know, like a car driving. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, my wife told me one time she got uh, an hour and 15 minute message of me having a conversation as I was driving down the road for on a long trip. And uh, at that time, this was years ago, uh, AT&T. There was no message to delete something while it was playing. You had to play the whole message and then delete it. So she, oh, so not only was her phone tied up for all that time, but she just kind of had to walk away from it and come back and listen every night. Am I still there? Okay. And uh, yeah, that was, who knew you could even leave an hour and 41 minute voicemail message? Yeah. Apparently with AT&T, you can, or at least you could back then. Well, you know, one day I got a, I just had a voicemail pop on my phone. You know how normally you get a voicemail from a missed call. Well, I just had a voicemail pop up and I was like, well, that's strange. So I listened to it, and it was my friend Kenny, who uh, I've mentioned before. He works for Verizon now. And so he just forwarded a voicemail to me that I had left him. And it was about three minutes of me scat singing, (laughs) 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 where I had accidentally called him, had my phone in in the seat next to me, didn't know it. And it's like, like that. He he sent it back to me. That's like, thanks, Kenny. There's some pretty good scat singing, though. So, Chris, you have something here in the notes about your experience with spammers on the other end of that. What's what's going yeah. on there? Well, for some reason, my my workplace, we got blacklisted because we host our own email. And this is an ongoing issue right now. And we keep getting blacklisted about once every month and a half because of a, some sort of spam bot gets installed on someone's computer. And, you know, it's just frustrating to go through the whole delisting of being on a blacklist. Um, I, I honestly think that blacklists help. But they also hurt. Aren't you glad now SOPA I've didn't had... go through? <laughs> what? Aren't you glad SOPA didn't go through? I can imagine oh, then. Yeah, it'd be all sorts of craziness. But yeah, it's just I wish there's a way to make getting off getting off the blacklist a little bit easier for someone who's being constantly blacklisted. Uh, you know, I, we can forward legitimate you know our legitimacy to other people, but I just wish there's a way that. You know, and I, I don't know what else I can do to even block these spam boxes from s- sending out spam. Well, the way I, I handled that, Chris, was I set the firewall to block all SMTP traffic and then whitelisted only the mail server. So it was the only right thing it. that could go out. I did. That's what we have. There is no traffic allowed on port 25 at all unless you are my mail server. So it's going out some other way, and I don't know what else I can do to block it, and I have to. I think me and Mr. Untangle is, are going to sit down and dig through our rules to figure out what's going on. Yeah, have you verified that? Have you gone to a terminal and like tried to open a telnet uh, session on port 25? Yeah. And it blocks it? Yeah, I'm not able to get out at all on 25. Huh. So it sounds like to me so, it's on your mail server. <laughs> be, well, I thought so too. Using- but there's, I, we've, sca- we've swept the, the, sca- the mail server and there's nothing on it. 
So one, one of the best choices I ever made, not the best, but one up there in the top 10 is moving to Google apps and, and Gmail. Uh, cause you can still, if you want a desktop client, you want outlook, you can still do that. You just let them handle all that. And they're, they're better at that than I am. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where we're going. It's just getting the push from the administrative side to force everyone to it. Um, we, like personally, I'm one of the few that are, that does not even go through the exchange server anymore for my mail. Right. Um, my, I am, my, my boss will be probably by the end of the month. And then we have a couple of test teachers that are going through that are, they've ditched exchange altogether. Um, but yeah, it's, it's change. So, you know, as well as I do, teachers don't like change. So, well, it doesn't have the way I first introduced it is uh, uh, Google has a, uh, if assuming you know all their passwords, that's the key. You've got to know their mail passwords, but they have a script where you can go through and set up users and it'll take everything that's in their mail. And if you have IMAP access to your current folder, all their folder structure and everything and dump it up on Gmail. And, and so everything is right there, everything but their address book. That's the only thing that you have to do manually. And I, I only have a couple hundred users, so I just spent a day manually copying over address books. So everybody had anything, everything there. And then um, I just changed the the settings on, on everybody's mail clients to Gmail. And so they were using that from then on, even with their own client. Now, what made it easier is we were using a web system. We were using Squirrel Mail. So everybody mm -hmm. already accessed through the mail. So I just changed Squirrel Mail to now be a client instead of a client of Google instead of a client of our server. Uh, but that's how we did it in, in pieces like that. And then eventually I just said, all right, after this re-image cycle, you get no desktop clients anymore. It's all Gmail. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's eventually what we're going to do is we're going to cut everyone's arm off. My, the, the thought we have, well, that's is a violent way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to cut everyone's arms off. Um, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to get a little cranky with people if they're not following what we're doing. Um, and I have people with too much access to other things. So they're going to lose their, people are going to lose fingers here soon. Wow. Start with fingers, then go to arms. Yeah, that's right. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of Chris Neves. Let me tell you. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I, I make you lose fingers, toes, and hands and arms, depending on how how much you've irritated me. <laughs> I have a sign. I, I'm sure you've all seen it on the internet, but I have a sign in my uh, in my office that says uh, "Danger." If the tech crew uh, uh, staff th thinks your question is stupid, we will set you on fire. And that's a picture of a burning person. <laughs> I was in a I was in a meeting one time. This was pretty funny, especially from the person that came from. It was actually a super nice, caring person. And I said, "So, how did that meeting go with that new practice that we've acquired in their practice manager?" She said, "You know, the physicians were okay, but I just wanted to stab the practice manager in the heart with an ice pick." <laughs> I was like, "That's awesome!" And she's so that's in kind the of our running profession, right? Yeah, that's our uh, that's kind of our running joke now. If if we're mad at somebody. It's just like, I just want to stab him in the heart with an ice pick. You know, it was so specific and random at the same time. It was the best part. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a knife. It wasn't yeah. stabbing with an ice pick. It was stabbing in the heart with an ice pick. Professor Plum, you know. <laughs> but why a spoon, cousin? Because it would hurt more, you idiot. It's dull, you twit. That's right. Uh, okay, so while we're talking about setting up a home server this week, let's go ahead and jump into the mail server part of it. Don't do it. That's my yeah. advice to you. You can do it. There are tools out there, uh, but don't use Google. Trust the Google. They own. They know everything about you anyway. 
So that's my advice on setting up a home mail server is don't. Yeah, I, I would suggest I would be the same boat. Don't set up your own mail server. There's too much headaches with it, um, especially no, with the whole blacklisting thing. And there's one of the blacklists that will check your ma- your MX records, and if you're on a dynamic um, IP, they'll block you instantly, yeah, and then so you can't mail to most places right. anyway. Yeah, maybe 12 years ago, whenever maybe I don't know how long ago it was, when you couldn't get unlimited free email. Right. You know, Juno was your only choice for free email, and, right. and your ISP would give you one for twenty nine ninety five a month. Right. You know, maybe then if you wanted you and your your wife and your son and your daughter to have one, it might have been worth it. But nowadays, I mean, you can just go create thirty Gmail accounts right. in fifteen minutes, or set up a Google Apps domain uh, for yourself. You get ten for free uh, if your yep. family's bigger than ten. You know that doesn't work for you, but then uh, you get a reality television show. <laughs> well, I need to move my witty banner up a section. There, we go. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. Um, you know, but if if you're one person that doesn't like Google, you could also use the other free mail servers. There's plenty of them out there. Yeah. You just pick one. Um, if if you're security conference or conscious, you could always use Hushmail. Yeah. You, um, you don't get. Ago, I used to run my own web server in house and my own mail server in house. I don't do either of those anymore because the hosted options are so much better. I can, uh, the host, the, the company that, that elementop.com is hosted with is, uh, something like 80 bucks a year for, um, unlimited websites. And I think you get a hundred MySQL databases for that amount of money, unlimited storage, unlimited bandwidth. Um, it's ridiculous. It's worth 80 bucks a year in hassle to let somebody else do that. You can't buy a hard drive. Exactly. That would have enough space to do what you want to do for the what you pay them for one year of complete service, right? Including the bandwidth. Yeah. yeah so, uh, and plus, they're going to have much better bandwidth than you have. No, I don't. However good yours is, th- I mean, unless you're on, um, you know, some weird direct fiber thing, you probably only have a little bit of upstream bandwidth anyway, and that's what matters. You yeah. know, back when I was doing it, I had four meg up. I had a four meg synchronous connection. And that was back when the average connection was 512 meg or less. So I could support a lot of connections. But now most of the people who might be accessing my server would have a, a, a 7, 8, 10, 12 meg down. And I'm only, I've only got two megs up. So, or like me, when I go to it with my phone, 22 meg down. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you guys all still suck. You, even when you were back with the old system with a three meg up and down, you still beat the pants off me. You guys suck. That's what happened to them. <laughs> now we know. All right, Aaron. That's Mark your beat two, the pants off them. That's your two pieces of witty banter, Aaron. Hold up. Hold off. You're 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 peaking too soon. I put it too much. Too too. I'm I'm front loading. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So when when we talk about setting up a, a home server. You can set up a web server, and there there are reasons to have a web server to do cool things like um, uh, serve your own media across the internet or across your house, things like that. Uh, but if you're going to host a website, don't do it at home. Uh, even even for the neckbeards out there, even for the bandana guys, it's just not the right time in history to do that. You can outsource that to people who are better at it, who whose whose power never goes out, whose bandwidth is much better for for a, a, a trivial amount of money yeah and okay i would say it's a perfect perfect example for your mail server and for web server both of those outsource them it's better right however having said that um if you want to set up a lamp server uh, uh which is linux apache mysql php lamp um 
for, and there are lots of reasons you might want to do that. Um, most of the major distributions, and I say most, I really think it's all of them, um, have the ability to do that just out of the box. Just uh, uh, if you want Apache, you load Apache and you check the box that says also give me MySQL and PHP support. And it just says, oh, well, your dependencies say you need these. Let me go get them. I know Ubuntu, which is my OS of choice for the desktop, does that. But uh, my OS of choice for the server is uh, uh, CentOS. And when you're setting that thing up, there's just a checkbox that says, you know, what do you want? And I say, well, I want MySQL support. I want Apache support. I want support for uh, PHP plus mod rewrite, right? You know, it's just a checkbox and boom, it's there. So if you're setting up your home server, I recommend going with one of those distributions that likes to be a home server because it's easier. But if you don't do that, um, you know, it's a, an RPM or an apt-get or a yum install, depending on your uh, distribution of choice to get all that stuff. It it used to be a lot more complicated than it is, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I think for any of these things that we're talking about, um, for these home servers, it would be one of those things that you should probably get a server-based distro anyway. Uh, just because of the fact that, you know, you could run your Ubuntu, you know, desktop version with the server side installed, but then you're going to have to deal with upgrading and updating when the release stream comes out. Right. If you go with something like a long-term release from Ubuntu or a long-term release from CentOS or Scientific Linux or the, the, the stacking list of, of Linux servers that are out there, go with one that you know, you know, stay in the same ethos as far as I'm concerned. If you are, if you're an Ubuntu people person, stay with your, your Ubuntu. If you're doing, if you're an RPM based, stay with your Fedoras or your Open Susies. That way you're at least staying in the same command structure. So that way you, you don't cross pollinate your commands too much. Well, yeah, that's, I, I agree with that. Go with what you're comfortable with. But um, Chris, I would say, um, I would amend your advice there. I don't use, the stock uh, server version of Ubuntu because it is essentially Ubuntu without the desktop. And being the GUI guy, I like the desktop. So I either go with the desktop and add the server stuff or I go with the server and the first command is apt-get install gnome desktop. And, well, and right, right, right. Thing. Well, I, I'm not saying to go with the server so that we don't have the GUI in there. I'm just saying their support for their the long-term release is what I'm going off of. Right. Um, don't go with the one that destroys itself every after a year because you, you're going to need more than a year's worth of, of use out of that machine. Right. You know, the, the long-term release for Ubuntu is what, five years? Uh, Seven years? Four, I think it is. I four? don't remember. Okay. But even then, I mean, look at some of those, the, the CentOS and, and Scientific Linux, they're, you know, decades on some of their releases. Right. Um. One of the things that, as I look through this list of stuff, it it's it seems to be more and more antiquated. So I, I think when most of the time when people want to set up a home server now, what they really want is a file storage and maybe a media server. Mm -hmm. But but often what quote unquote server distros are built on is being that web and mail server. Uh, so you can get something like a like a Clark Connect server that that has all that stuff built in. But those generally sort of do uh, file and media sharing as an afterthought. And so really, I think what most people are going to want to do is 
uh, get a media server um, or a NAS server bot, you know, some, set up something like FreeNAS. Um, but uh, Chris, when you um, at your house, how do you handle DNS hosting at your house? DNS, um, I usually let the ISP give it to me. Yeah. Um, uh, so- it, it, the only exception to that is, you know, I have, I've been playing with the Google DNS and I've been playing with Open DNS back and forth trying to figure out which one works better for me. Uh, right now, I'm sitting on the Open DNS just for the fact that I can then add content filtering for my house. Right. See, that's another one of those things that used to be advisable to run your own DNS or or hack your own DHCP server, for example, and, and include that as part of your server. But now your firewall, whatever you've got there, even if it's just a little plastic box or if it's a good solid Boris box, it's going to be handling the DNS and DHCP for you. It's either forwarding the DNS, which is generally what it does, uh, or uh, or you can manually handle it if you want. But uh, that, again, is one of those things that's it's less efficient now than just putting 8.8.8.8 and letting Google do it or putting in uh, open, I highly recommend OpenDNS. It's the fastest DNS server uh, I've ever used, including faster than Google's. Uh, plus, if you choose to, you have the option of content filtering. You don't have to, but it's there if you want it. So, yep. uh, yeah, I just set up, the way I do it is I set my firewall up to hand out DHCP with OpenDNS's uh, DNS settings. And so it yep. hands those out to my clients. And, again, I don't do that. I used to do that. I used to have my own DNS server back when I had my own web server. Uh, but that's a bad idea, and it was a bad idea when I did it. Because of the nature of DNS, you really want it coming from two two or more legs of the Internet, if at all possible. And so if, you've, if you're doing something, if you ho- you're hosting a website and you've got the DNS server in your house, um, then if the DNS goes offline or the web server goes offline or both, you're, you're dead. And so it's one thing for the the site to be offline it's another for dns to be offline because the internet handles that differently it takes it more seriously if it can't find a dns entry so another one of those things that is good to to outsource and and if you buy a a hosted package from anybody they're again they're going to handle that for you uh as part of the deal or if you want to go into look at some free dns server just google free dns and you'll find lots of them if you're if you're really into that but for the most part i just don't think people need it anymore Mark, do you use um, like any dynamic DNS to um, point back to your house? I I did back when I needed it. I don't anymore. Um, the only thing I do is uh, because I use OpenDNS, it has a little client that runs and will if my is if my address changes, it'll update my OpenDNS settings. Uh, so, but otherwise, that's that's all I do because DNS uh, or IP addresses really don't change that much anymore. Um, I've had the same IP address for a year and a half now, for for as long as I've had this ISP. Uh, it just it it rarely changes unless your router goes offline for an extended period of time. It, it's it's not like it was back in the days of dial-up. Right, what do so you see? Str- that I was gonna say that's funny because my IP for my I've been with my service provider now for oh ten twelve years, and it used to be. St- pretty static and you know, it would never change on me but the last oh nine to 12 months i've had seven different ip addresses so what's happening is they're getting to the end of their dhcp pool and they're having to be a lot more stingy with them well i think it's more along the lines that they're they're getting more i don't know if they're buying up some ip ranges from people because their their ip range has changed it used to be a 216 
and now it's like a nine seven. Okay. So now I had a, and you may run into this. Uh, you certainly do on a cell phone. Aaron, uh, uh, back me up on this. If you do a quick, uh, what is my IP from your cell phone? You're probably going to get a private IP address, like a 10 dot. I don't know how 4G works, but that's that's what it has generally worked like AT&T, which is one of the biggest, and Sprint also does that. And some ISPs will start doing that. They'll hand you a private IP address on their network. So you never actually get a true public IP address unless you pay the extra fee for that. So uh, that sort of thing makes setting up your home servers of, of any kind a lot more complicated. Then you've got to do multi-level tunneling, and, and that's when you've got to do something a dy- like a dynamic DNS. But uh, um I know my ISP currently uh, gives me a public IP address, but the one I had before was giving me a private IP address. And they, I had to call them up, and I paid extra money, and they did a, they gave me an, a public IP address and mapped to it through their firewall. But I still had the private IP address at my end. How so, long ago was that? Um, just three or four years. Okay, because I'm, I noticed about three years ago, four years ago, um, that it went. Maybe it was even longer than that because it might have been right before I moved to Georgia. So it would have been about five, five and a half years ago that my ISP provider went from, uh, you know, handing me the router and giving the public address to me at home to hand him or handing me the, it, it, was, it wasn't even a real router. It was a, it was a DSL, you a know, hub, really a hub. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a modem for lack of a better term. Uh, and, to handing me a real router where I, anything on the, on my side of it was private. And, you know, I had one outward facing public IP type thing. Yeah. And I think ISPs are, are there. That's one of the ways they're handling things like the spam issue, uh, where people get zombie and machines handing, uh, sending out stuff. If they can keep all that behind their firewalls and block it there, it makes them less likely to get on the radar of somebody and get banned. You know, if, if, if you're buying your, uh, bandwidth from level three and they ban you and your 20,000 customers are all banned at once. That's a bad thing. Uh, yeah. And I will say we were talking about email earlier. Most ISPs now don't even allow email traffic. If you want to do that, you have to go and, and request some special access and generally they'll send you through some like a, a relay server. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon anymore in the U S I don't know about other countries, but in the U S to, uh, to just have that blocked at the ISP level in an attempt to stem this the tide of, of zombie machines. Yeah, the, I was uh, just going to make that comment, Mark, that I know a lot of, uh, um, I think it's uh, Quest up here, they don't allow you in their terms of service, and they actually block the ports that you would normally run for a mail server and a web server on the uh, uh, as a residential client. Now, if you are a, a you know an actual commercial client, then they'll give you a, a static and let those ports through. Uh, I remember probably eight nine years ago when my I had a friend that lived in a little su- new subdivision that was just a you know a little street and then a loop at the end of the street like a lollipop type neighborhood you know probably forty fifty houses and, and they brought cable in there and this is when cable was really first starting to to dish up internet you know maybe ten years ago then. Um, and literally every house in the neighborhood ended up getting cable and they all had public IP addresses and you could just like, you could find out what my friend's IP was and just ping the next IP up. And it was like the guy right next door. And if you knew you could tell net and you know, you could go in there and poke around and see what, 
it was it was it was bad you know uh it was not secure at all uh and that's basically what they did is they just stuck a hub at the end of the right. neighborhood and plugged everybody into the, the the hub i mean it was it was horrible at, at my church uh very recently just as uh, a couple of years ago they had one of those uh a wireless uh systems it wasn't uh uh cable but it's you know the kind they come out and they'll stick an antenna on your roof and and do it that way which is great if if you can't get cable where you are and um i was doing some work there on their server and and i noticed they had a private ip address and uh when i opened up like network neighborhood on an xp machine i could see like the doctor's office down the street and and the the uh the chamber of commerce and i i could see their systems it was not only uh, was it um a, a public thing but it was all one hub it was just it was there with network sharing turned on and i i freaked and immediately set up a boris box for them and said no no never ever ever plug this into that that's a very bad idea yeah i want to say that we might have had the same kind of thing with my friend too and we could actually browse out and see computers listed in network neighborhood and all that it's yeah. crazy it was terrifying because you know they've got my financial information there i'm a you know i'm a tither and then they, they have that information they have my my kids home addresses in there that their database is it means something to me to keep that yeah. safe i'll tell you another reason not to host a website um we my isp for that hosted that uh helped design and hosted our website for the business i work for in texas gave me you know ftp privileges so i could upload new content and things to it so I uploaded some stuff and drilled down into a folder and, and, and then I backed out, backed out, backed out accidentally. One too many folders went right into the root. There's everybody else's folder. <laughs> huh. Surely they didn't give me rights. Double click. Yep. There I am. I'm in, you know, fill in the blank businesses website. I was like, Oh, that's horrible. You know, so I called up Jason, the guy that was always moving at the speed of light and made sure. <laughs> I told you that story, haven't I? Yes. That was the ISP guy. And uh, told, hey, Jason, guess what? If, if you just go up folder one time from my directory, I can get into anybody else's FTP folder and steal their content or change their website or whatever. He's like, wow, I better take a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better take a look yeah. at it. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do it right. <clears throat> it's easy to do it wrong. Yeah. Uh, yep. And so, uh, you know, when, uh, internet service providing became a commodity when these little mom and pop ISPs started popping up. They, they were able to buy bandwidth wholesale. They were able to set up radio antennas from their place to your place, but that was really all they knew how to do. And I hope they're getting better. I hope, uh, but maybe not. <laughs> you know, you ought to be, and I'm just, they probably are still in business. I'm fixing to slam them on the entire interwebs. So that's okay. Ballisticactionnet.com. That was the ISP provider. <laughs> What a horrible name. <laughs> ballistic Action Net. It's like a bad so powerful it's B movie. ballistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like what are some good um buzzwords, good marketing words? Let's yeah. ballistic. That means fast, right? And we'll we'll do that and and action. Everybody likes action. It's like they'd seen too many reruns of speed or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since we've kind of ruled out a lot of the classic reasons that you would set up your own server, you're pretty much left with file and print services. And we talked a little bit about this last week in the getting spousal approval sort of thing. So let's just go with there. Chris, what would you recommend people do for a file and print server in their home? 
Well, I would say you want something that's super easy to set up and involves almost no interaction with the users. Um, if money's no object, I would say Drobo, just because a Drobo is just that. It's a file server. Um, but that's if money's no issue because those are quite expensive. Yes, quite. <laughs> but uh, I'm still stuck on Unraid for file server. I really love their setup. I love the fact that they give you uh, for free a system that handles um, two drives with parity. And all you have to do is, is dump a, a dump their system on a, a thumb drive. They have a very active and vibrant community that helps you out. There's plenty of um, secondary hacks and um, plugins that they, the community has made. So if you want to have it, the Unraid server manager printer, you could do that as well. So as long as it's in the supported list, because it is running a Linux-based system right. for Unraid. Um, you know, the other thing you could do is look into Windows, uh, what is it, Windows Home Server? You know, that one, and that's coming from a Linux guy. So, you know, for the fact that I'm saying a, a, the Windows Home Server isn't too bad, no, it isn't. It, it, it handles everything really well. It does your transcoding already. And it also handles your print server because of the fact that it's Windows. Most, I'd say, ninety-nine percent of your printers out there are going to run on it. Right. Wow, you you represented Seth well. You you brought in the evil empire. Uh, I did. Uh, I I like, and I've mentioned it a couple of times in the show already. FreeNAS, uh, which is is very similar to uh, what Chris is talking about, but it has uh, more configuration options. Uh, what I like about it for for the the spare parts lying aroundness of it is you can you can throw in any size drives and any configuration and, and do what's called a JBot array just a bunch of disks. There's no redundancy there. It's just it's just a, a giant spanned array. Um, but you know it's it's handy uh, if you're just wanting to use up spare components. You've got a, an old you know Dell something laying around over here, and you've got a couple of hard drives, and you know uh, Fry's is having a sale, and you. Pick up a, a big hard drive there. There's a there's a, a, a lot of options there, but plus it also has a built-in web server. It's rudimentary, but it's there, and it has um, um, some file uh, or print sharing options. You can install printers on it and share them out. So it's a good tool. It's free. It's totally open source. It's BSD based. So if you're not if you're a command line guy like Chris, some of your commands from the Linux world might not quite carry over to BSD. But what I like about it is everything in it is web driven. You 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 set it up, you give it an IP address, and then you pull that up in your your browser of choice and do everything from there. And it's a it's a really, in my opinion, very high quality product uh, that you it requires the elbow grease. But that's why you're doing it, right? That's why you're listening to an, a, a Linux show. You want to do it yourself. So it's perfect for uh, the do it yourself multi purpose raid box. And I'd say Unraid would be on par with that because of the fact that it, it does give you um, – the only thing that it doesn't allow you to do is have more than three disks in it. Um, but it has everything that you just said and then more because it does have that modular and plug-in ability that they do give out. Uh, and then there's there's nothing wrong, that depending on what you want to do, with just setting a Linux box up. Just you know download Ubuntu and throw the desktop version on there. It's going to do your file sharing. It's going to do your printer sharing. You can set up media transcode. You don't really need anything super fancy. 
Uh, yep. In fact, in my home server right now is just that it's a it's a spare machine that uh, that is running a, a, a Linux distribution, it's running Ubuntu. So it's not a big um, server OS. It's not doing server stuff, but anything can be a server. In fact, my my primary Windows box is quote unquote a server too. Once you share out that C drive, it's a server technically. So yep. it, it doesn't have to be as complicated as you might have thought it once was. Uh, especially when you take all these other things off the table that we've been talking about. When you take um, email administration off the table, you take website, you take DNS, you take all that off the table, you're basically look for, looking at a place where I can put my stuff and retrieve my stuff. And that yep. doesn't take a lot. Right. And that's why I was saying, you know, if, if money is not an option or even, there's even a couple of those Western digital drives that you can buy that just have an Ethernet cord plug, plug right there. Right. I mean, those guys will work just as good if all you're looking for is a place, a second place to store your stuff. Right. And then I'll go back to my good friend Pogo plug there. That yep. is just data storage. That's not going to help you with your printing or anything like that. But uh, but it will do some rudimentary uh, media transcoding. Uh, but there are all sorts of options out there that maybe you're not thinking of, I guess is our point here. But I did want to make one, one little caveat. Say you set up your your box. And uh, th somebody actually uh, posted a, a forum post uh, recently in the Everyday Linux forums. I, I don't remember off head to who, uh, off the top of my head to who, who to give credit to, but they wanted to know if they could set up um, a NAS box that was also their firewall, use the same box to do two jobs. And my advice there is no. A firewall should do one job, only one job. Don't ever let it do anything else. Um, because you want everything behind your firewall and you want your firewall protecting your stuff. If you put yep. your files on the firewall, at that point, it's a misclick in a configuration uh, file away from sharing all your stuff on the internet. Um, and maybe you don't have anything you care about, right? But the RIA cares about that. At that point, you've just become a felon. If you've got your, uh, your media collection on your hard drive and you accidentally share that to the internet, the, the, the men in black will come and see you. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Mark. Um, the only exception to that is if you're going to start jumping in the whole virtualizing thing, where you're virtualizing your firewall and you're virtualizing your, your NAS system. See, I don't even um, like that. I'm a little more yeah. paranoid than you because once you're running a VM, you still they still have common access through the OS. And if that OS has problems, uh, there's still a, an attack vector there. So I, well, for firewalls, I only run physical boxes, and I only run them connected to nothing but them. Borders well, say I, I if it's a virtual box, you only virtually protected. <laughs> what, that was a great was, line you just talked over, Chris. Yeah, that was. Yeah, so we'll go for Aaron. You first because it's short. I said, Boris, say if it's a virtual box, you only virtually protected. <laughs> All right, now Chris, what were you saying? <laughs> I was gonna say. I wasn't I wasn't recommending that. I was saying that would be the only possible way I would even think about doing both on the same box. Uh, but even then, I would not do it. <laughs> I like that line. The, if you're, it's a virtual machine. You're only virtually protected. That's a good one. Thank you. So for that was your, my color comment. Yeah. <laughs> That's three. That's uh, you. You got one more to meet your quota for the night. See you guys. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we're, we're running out of time, Aaron, so you got to get one more in there pretty quickly. Um, so that's really all we had to say about uh, firewalls. If, if, you, if we didn't answer your question, let us know. Ask us another question. Uh, uh, not firewalls, but home servers. I, I think the general consensus among the three of us is that home servers 
are really pretty much places to put your stuff. And we already did a show about that. Uh, yeah. the, the other stuff that you might now, if you're into development, web development, and you want to test your PHP and Perl scripts, then yeah, go set up a server there, keep it behind uh, closed doors. But if you're just a, an average geek and you don't have those super power user needs, I don't think it's a good idea to get into setting up your own server. I know we geeks like to do it just because we can, and if you want to, fine, but keep it behind the firewall. Keep it off the internet. Because once you open up that pipe to the internet, you open yourself up to a world of hurt. And I speak from personal experience. Like I said, I ran my own web server, I ran my own mail server, and I spent hours every week um, fending off the bad guys. You know, just like I mentioned at the beginning of the show here, I've got the CAPTCHA here on the Element OP side. That's even on a hosted system, I still spend a significant amount of time trying to keep that up and going. But when you're trying to host things yourself, um, for a while there, I hosted like seven or eight websites on one Windows box in my house and then a bunch of uh, mail servers and systems on a Linux box in my house. Uh, it was fun, sort of, because I like doing that sort of thing. But as soon as I had the opportunity to stop doing it, I did. I don't change my own spark plugs either. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's not that yeah, it's I, that hard, and it's not that it's not fun to do every once in a while, but it's not something I want to do all the time or change my own oil. But, if it, but that's the whole idea that if you want something, if you want to play with it, then then set it up. Um, I agree with you, Mark. I, the only reason I ever set up a, a home server to play in is just for that to play in, um, to learn. Okay, how did I set this up? Did that work? Did it, it did it not work? Do I need to to learn another way of setting up things? But any more, I wouldn't even dedicate a whole box to that anymore. I would just be looking at a virtual system. If you're yeah. if you're just something to play with, virtualize it. It's simpler. That's exactly the point I was just about to make. For that sort of thing these days, I just fire up a new version of uh, a new uh, instance of uh, virtual box and and go that way. Even for you know, I, I do some light coding. I'm certainly not a coder, but when I when I want to do that sort of stuff, I do it all in a VM, and that way it it's not a big deal. I can just blow it away if I if I mess something up, if it gets you know corrupted or whatever, they don't get out of their little sandbox. So it's uh, uh that's probably the new playground. You know, where we used to just assemble stuff and play with it, like you know pulling your car into the garage and. And overhauling it wouldn't it be more fun if you had a virtual engine that didn't get grease on your floor <laughs> and you could yes. do all sorts of things to it you could hop it up or hop it down or right you, you could know, virtually push. remove that stupid uh fender well out of the way so your big meaty hand fits <laughs> down in there to take the bolt out of the manifold <laughs> hmm. just a quick aside my wife had a saturn i think it was a 94 saturn um that in order to ch change the battery you had to pull the fan shroud off the front just to get to where the battery came out. That's How so, ridiculous! That's, that's smart is that? design. That's that's what that is. Yeah, that's smart design. Wow. Yeah, for the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a new battery that just became a six-hour by the book job. That's awesome! Yay! All right, guys. So that's uh, that's it for me, Chris. Do you have any uh, tip for us this week? Yeah, actually, one of the things I was going to say, I actually used it this week. And it's called D-Message. And it's D-M-E-S-G. And what that does is it, it shows you all, anything that, any error message that could be popping off the kernel um, or, or drivers and other things that, you know, when you're trying to troubleshoot an error down, it's something to look into. Um, most of those stuff are logged into a log file somewhere, but if you don't want to go look up the log, just 
throw up D message out and see what happens and see what you can read out of the message logs. Okay. And uh, hopefully Seth is going to be back with us next week. I think, Yay. I think that may be the case, but uh, we have missed our uh, gooey kid. Gooey. Uh, so we'll, we'll be glad to have him back. Uh, Aaron, you have any uh, final words for our listeners? I was just going to say that, that I actually was going to say that earlier in the show that give a shout out to Seth. Cause I've, I've missed his, uh, his gooey representation on on the show over the weeks. Plus, he always brings the great Linux news that we're too lazy to go out and find. So exactly, have that whole section back. There's a whole section of the show gone now. Uh-huh. That he's gone. Well, it happens. I mean, he was the only one that had extra time to go finding the stuff. Right. So okay, well, I think we're gonna wrap it up, guys, and say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.